I'm sorry for the delay, just getting things set up after not being here for two weeks. Is it three weeks? Anyway, we are back in Chabad Flamingo, broadcasting with my fancy new camera. And David is late, and we're going to start. Just like that. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining. Today, we are going to be continuing our Haggadah in depth. This is installment number 32. Today's class is called Song of Freedom. Now, in our previous episode, we talked about the recitation or the chanting or singing of the Hallel on the Pesach or Passover Seder night. And there's a lot to say about this, of course. We alluded to the possibility of a Hallel that's recited in the Beit HaKnesset, in the Shul, and that's that's one story, and then the hollow that we recite at the Seder table itself, and how there's a distinction. But today I want to focus on the hollow as it's recited as a portion of the Haggadah, with a little preface. And the preface goes like this. In the Gemara in Meseches Shabbos, as we say, speaking of hollow. The Gemara records a string of teachings attributed to the great sage Rabbi Yossi. And the Gemara says, Omar Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi stated, Yehei chelki, Rabbi Yossi in this, these series of teachings speaks about who I wish I could be, so to speak. If only I could be. May my portion be amongst those. And there's a lot of Yehei Chelkis, but we're going to focus on that Rabbi Yossi said, I wish upon myself. I would like to include myself 
in those who are goimre halel bechol yoyim. Those who complete the halel chanting or recitation on a daily basis. Now clearly, the Gemara thinks or assumes Rabbi Yossi is talking about our halal. So the Gemara says, you got to be kidding. Aini, it can't be so. The master taught. One who would recite the halal every day. This is a person who is blasphemous in nature. That is an act of blasphemy. It's an act of blasphemy. You read the halal every day and you say you want to be counted amongst those who blaspheme. So the Gemara says, no, 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 you misunderstood. When Rabbi Yossi made this statement, wishing upon himself to be amongst those who would recite the halal daily, when he said this, Bipsuke dizimra, he meant to say the verses of praise. These are the collection of chapters of Tehillim with which we initiate our morning prayers, per se. In other words, the climax of tefillah, or what is generically known as prayer, is really the notion of Amidah, the Shmon Esri. But, because it's a mitzvah to read the Shema in the morning, so first we have the reading of the Shema. And then after we have the reading of the Shema, we have blessings. And they prepare us to go into the Shema Esri. But before we do that, we have blessings that introduce the Shema. And before that, we have what's called verses of praise. This is all designed to kind of get us into the spirit of things. So that when we recite Shema, we do so with all our hearts, with all our souls. And that when we recite the Amida prayer, that we're in a total sense of union with the Creator, with God. Now, the Psukha de Zimra are comprised primarily of the last five chapters of Tehillim. So when we say Psukah de Zimra, Rashi tells us, Shnei mizmoirim shel hilulim, halalu as Hashem in Hashemayim, halalu keel bekoche. We hear this notion of halalu. Halalu sounds like halal. And because halalu sounds like halal, that's what Rabbi Yossi meant. He meant, I just want to be counted amongst those who pray every day. All right, but we didn't come to learn about Rabbi Yossi's wish for himself. We really came to learn about and understand the Hallel prayer, right? So if somebody recites the Hallel daily, you could get tough, just set it up now and then... Uh... Yeah? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so the, the idea of the Hallel as we thought it to be, the idea of the Hallel as we thought it to be, which was this notion that you recite halal daily, that's macharif and megadif, it's very hard to understand. I mean, halal is a singing Hashem's praises. What's wrong with singing Hashem's praises? <laughs> what is the issue? You're a blasphemer if you sing God's praises? So Rashi says something very interesting. 
Nevi'im harishonim tiknu loimar. It was the earliest of the prophets. The first prophets. They are the ones who instituted that we should recite these chapters of Tehillim, Leshevach Vehoidoya, as an act of praise and acknowledgement of Hashem's kindness. As we say in Mesechet Psachim on page 117, we referenced that in our previous episode. Rashi says, so what's wrong if somebody sings God's praises all the time? You don't like to get a compliment. Why does God need your compliment? So why does he ever need your compliment? But if we accept the notion that God wants to hear from us, and if I call God, I say, God, you're fantastic and amazing. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for every breath I take. <laughs> Do you know the Gemara says, a person has to thank Hashem, I'll call Nishima u Nishima for every breath one draws. God, I'm grateful. Thank you for a wonderful spouse. Thank you for beautiful children. Thank you for health. Last time I checked, my heart's working, my stomach's working, my kidneys are working. I'm so grateful. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with a person going through life with an attitude of supreme gratitude? Now she says, that's not so simple. Since the prophets instituted that these verses of praise be chanted in special times, when somebody uses them all the time, so it's like Kimazamashir, it's like a cheap song. It's mislights it, it makes a mockery. We all understand that there are certain things that are reserved for special occasions. And when you utilize things that have been set aside for special occasions, every day you demean the special occasion. You essentially communicate there are no special occasions. Every day is a special occasion means that no day is a special occasion. Here's a silly example. Your friend says, when are you coming over? And you, they say, um, well, when you invite me. And your friend says, eh, you're always invited. Which may as well mean you're never invited. You can't always be invited. People don't always entertain. Getting an invitation is a nice thing. Tell somebody, whenever you want, you're always invited for the most part, is saying nothing special about you coming over. But we'd love to have you over in an appropriate time, in the right setting. And that's just one of so many examples. Maybe there's something special you do for your spouse on your anniversary, or on her or his birthday. Maybe there's something special you do for your children on their birthdays. If you say happy birthday every day and buy them a card, it seems diminished. Sleazy, cheap. Something's wrong. The Marshal puts it this way. Marshal explained that these verses were set aside by our sages to thank God for extraordinary miracles. 
for the shattering of nature, for the notion that God chose to reveal himself to us. And when you simply state on an average Monday or Wednesday, God is always around, I don't have to appreciate his miracles, that flies in the face of a true relationship, because in true relationships we do appreciate and acknowledge special things. The marshal goes further. Why did our sages select these verses to embody the thanks for special occasions? Says the marshal, in order to publicize, to promulgate a message of Hashem's miracles. To paraphrase from the words of our sages about the rabbinic holidays of Purim and of Hanukkah, Parsumenisa. There's this idea of broadcasting the magnificent mirac- miracles and miraculous events that Hashem performs for us. The fact that nature was changed. If somebody uses halal every day, he no longer has a vehicle by virtue of which to recognize and to publicize Hashem's miracles. And this is the way our prophets told us we should do precisely that. But now it's spent. You don't have that opportunity. So how will you recognize Hashem's miracles? And therefore, it becomes as if what miracles? Everything's a miracle. Every day's a miracle. That attitude leads us to the, the end result of there are no miracles. So it's Mechara from Agadif. Now, I, w- I would say it's a pretty Jewish thing. It's a Jewish. This is a Jewish responsibility. This is what the Nevi'im Harishenim were metaken. They were not mindful of how humanity should recognize Hashem's kindness. They were thinking of we, you and I, the Jewish people. It's a Jewish thing. And yet, these very same verses, which are said to represent the notion of Hallel, the Gemara in Brachas talks to us about various things that a person might envision in a nocturnal sense. How do you envision things nocturnally? You're sleeping. It's called a dream. And dreams can, and according to the Gemara, should be interpreted appropriately. So we have a story of a great sage named Rava who talks to a fellow named Barhedya who is known for his insight into the visions of dreams. And he says to him, so I had this vision, I had this dream that I was saying, halolo mitzra, that I was saying the Egyptian halal, b'chalma. So Barhedya said, oh, really? The Egyptian halal? Hmm. Nisa misracheshloch. There's a miracle coming your way. Rashi says, halolo mitzra, Ha-halel sh'anu korim b'pesach. The halel we read on Pesach. Lefishiyesh halel achar. There's another halel. We actually read it on the night of Pesach also. It's called halel hagodo. We recite it every Shabbat morning. Hodola Hashem kitov ki le'olam chasto. That's the refrain. And that's a halel. It goes to 26 different 
stanzas of let us acknowledge God for his kindness is everlasting. But this one is called Halal HaMitzri. This is the Egyptian Halal. It's a funny Rashi. Rashi says the Halal that we read on Pesach. And do we not read a Halal on Rosh Chodesh? Do we not read a Halal all of Sukkot and on Shavuot? What do you mean the Halal that we read on Pesach? So the Sif Sechachamim wants to say, maybe the answer is because on Pesach night we say halal twice. Which is a bit of a, a very brave thing to say because it's not even clear, at least to the best of my knowledge, we don't know with certainty whether Rashi actually said halal twice. We know that the Germanic provinces did not say halal. And there's different customs amongst the Litvishi world today. The German Jews don't say halal in Shul. How is the Sif Sechachamim so sure that Rashi did say halal? I don't know. But he's what he says. There's a commentary called Berach Moshe who suggests, well, it doesn't really mean Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim comes from the terminology of Mitzorim, Igvulim, limitations. Anytime you transcend limitations, which is any kind of salvation, you'd say halal. It doesn't fit into Rashi. Beautiful ideas. Nothing to do with the facts. So why is it called the Egyptian halal? Because we say it on Pesach. And this, my dear friends, is the segue into what I believe will be for you a fascinating lecture about the halal that we recite on Pesach. But with this little preface and dangling this little question out there of why it's called the Egyptian halal, because we say it on Pesach, let's begin to look into the words of the Haggadah. After we say Lefichach, we come back with the refrain, Halal. Halaluka. We explained that in the previous episode, how Halaluka brings together both the name of Hashem along with praise, unique, different, separate, as Maharala says, because you cannot use this terminology really appropriately for anybody other than God, because the terminology is praise God. You can thank anybody, you can acknowledge anybody, you can praise anybody, you can uplift anybody, you can exalt anybody. But you can't praise God when you're talking to a person. That's hallelujah. Hallelujah, avde Hashem. Servants, slaves of God. Isn't Pesach about freedom? My friends, our journey begins in the pathways of the Yalkochimoni. Yalkut Shimoni is actually a pretty mysterious book. Nobody knows with absolute certain, at least not absolute certainty, who is the redactor of the Yalkut Shimoni. Some maintain that it was a famous preacher known as Simon or Shimon of Mainz of Germany. Others maintain that it may have been the father of the Bet Yosef. There are various opinions. What is indisputed is that the Yalkut Shimoni has, certainly since the 14th or 15th century, become a basic staple, a foundational work for anybody who seeks the full, exhaustive presentation of the Midrashim. The author of the Yalkut Shimoni maintains that he combed through endless manuscripts and various versions of the writings of our sages in all of their iterations, and he compiled it in a manner that follows the actual scripture. From Bereshus, 
all the way to the end of the prophets. So in the Alkut Shimoni's commentary on Tehillim, Psalm 113, which is what we are about to embark in, this is what we begin to recite now at the Seder table on Pesach night. The Yalkut Shimoni begins its commentary with a quote of another verse, a verse that's found in the 77th Psalm of King David. I remember my singing at night. On a, on a literal level, when you read that verse, it means I remember my singing in the Beis HaMikdash at night during the proverbial darkness of Galut. But here, the Akuchimoni seems to have, use poetic license. The med med Midrashic twist or Midrashic interpretation of this is, I remember my singing on that night. We're recalling the singing of that night. What night is this? Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon, by the way, this is Yalkut Shimoni, Tehillim, Psalm 113, entry number 872. Tough, tough, I am base. Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon, the congregation of Israel said before God, Master of the universe, we remember. I remember the miracles, Nisim I remember the miracles you did for me on that last night in Egypt. And at that time, I was playing the tunes, I was singing the song, and I was expressing praise Alotam Hanisim for those miracles. The miracles, the last night in Mitzrayim. These, of course, are the miracles of Makat Bechorot, as we'll soon see. The Omeret Shirim, I was singing, saying, or singing songs, the Zimorim and tunes, Balayla at night. And he cross references a verse from Yeshayo with another interpretation. And he says, when you slayed the firstborn, and it was in the middle of that night, and our ancestors were redeemed, at this point, we're still servants, slaves to the Pharaoh. You redeemed us, and you made us your slaves. And that's the meaning of Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hashem! Hallelujah! Praise God! Hallelujah! Praise servants, slaves of God. Now we are slaves of God. I'm going to skip the next little piece of Yalkut Shimoni. I'm going to come back to it. The Yalkut Shimoni goes on to say, The Pharaoh calls out to Moses and Aaron in the middle of the night. He's knocking on their doors. They said to him, Fool, you want us to leave in the middle of the night? Like thieves in the darkness? No, 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 no. We will leave in the morning, in broad daylight. After all, God has instructed us 
כך אומר לנו הקדוש ברוך הוא, ואתם לסייצו איש מפסח בייסא, God said to us, don't leave your homes עד בוקר, till morning. So the Pharaoh protested, and he said, הרי מייסו כל המצרים. You're killing everybody. The whole country is going into some kind of death rigors. You have to leave. And then the whole of Egypt got involved in this. As it says, So they said, Pharaoh. And they're speaking through closed doors now, remember? Because they weren't allowed to be outside. They said, Pharaoh. Do you want to be rid of this plague that's now afflicting you and your citizens? And then say it out loud. Say, you are free. You are now in your own domain. Now say, you are slaves to God. The Medesh Yalkut Shemoni says, The Pharaoh began to scream. And he said, In the past, you were my slaves. Now you are free. You are not my slaves, you are God's slaves. As God's slaves, you need to praise Him. You need to sing to Him. And He said, Hallelujah! Praise God! Hallelujah! Let the slaves of God praise Him. Shanemar, as it is written, And we'll come back to this in a moment. Now, of course, if I was you, I would ask me a very simple question. It's very nice that the Pharaoh had a little conversation with Moses. We're talking about millions of Jews. So a little private conversation with Pharaoh and Moses, what difference does it make if the Pharaoh said you're free? Who did he say you're free to? Who could even have heard those words? Why would it be meaningful? Why do we call this an Egyptian song? Because the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said, You're God's slaves! Praise him! Who heard that? Had it become a national event? It's a private little conversation. I'm really glad you asked that question. Because... When we cross-reference the words of the Alkut Shimoni with the words that are found in the Talmud Yerushalmi in the Jerusalem Talmud Mesechet Psachim, chapter 5, halacha 5, we hear in the Mishnah about the idea of the Korban Pesach being slaughtered in groups of people. So the Talmud Yerushalmi says, hmm, how'd that work back in Egypt? How did you get groups to come together? How did Moses get the word out? How was he able to organize that? So the, the Gemara says something amazing. It describes the enormous amount of terrain that we speak of. Something like 400 square miles, huge, huge area, where the Jewish people were. And then the Gemara says like this. It could have taken 40 days if you were using ordinary messengers. To get the message across to everybody. So how did everybody hear? He says, Eretz Mitzrayim, 
is Mahalach Arboimim. It's a 40-day walk across Egypt. And the Yemara says that Nitan Koyach a power, a force, was attached to the voice of Moshe Rabbeinu. We would call it in today's day and age amplification, but that's just a metaphor because amplification is actually electrodes or electro electronic impulses that are translating your voice into something that sounds like you, but it's not actually you. But here it was actually Moses. Moses' voice was amplified and he was heard throughout the country. And he gave instructions. You go here and they should go there. And that's how the Korban Pesach was brought. Then the Gemara says something fascinating. Omar Ablevi, Kishem Shenitan Koyach Moshe, in the very same fashion that some type of miraculous paranormal power was attached to the voice of Moshe Rabbeinu, that it enabled the voice of Moses to broadcast in a way that was heard across the country. Kach Nitan Koyach Pare. The Pharaoh. His voice was also amplified. A koyach, a force, was given to his voice. His voice was heard throughout the land of Egypt. An area of geography that would have taken 40 days to walk across. And he said, Kumu, rise up, tzu'u, leave. From amidst my nation, used to be the Pharaoh's slaves. The Gemara has it a little different. It doesn't have Pharaoh telling us what to do. But at that moment, when all of Egypt heard the words, You are God's slaves, they began to say, Hallelujah. This is unbelievable. This is a miracle. Let us praise God. Hallelujah, Avde Hashem. We praise God as God's servants. Veloi Avde Paroi. But not the slaves or servants of the Pharaoh. Because we no longer are his slaves. There's a 18th century work, also a collection of many, many interesting midrashim. It's considered to be very authoritative. authoritative. It was compiled by the grandson of the Kli Yakar, the Illus Ephraim. It's called Yalkut Ruveni. The Yalkut Ruveni cites a different manuscript here. And it says, the And the Pharaoh cried out to a voice to Moses and Aaron on the night of Pesach, Mishtama Koiloi Ad Ara de Goshen. But his voice could be heard in faraway Goshen. And here, the Akruveni's version gives us a little bit of a feel for how the Pharaoh made that statement. Hint. It wasn't with joy. Mischanen. He was pleading. Bekeil Otsov. In a voice that bespoke his sadness. In a broken voice, the voice of a broken man. And he said, Puku, Migoyami, 
disappear, leave from my people. When Moses, Aaron, and all of Israel miraculously hear this voice, the, te- the tear-filled voice of the Pharaoh, they didn't listen. Nobody left. And eventually all of the Pharaoh's courtiers and all of his ministers and all of his servants came. And they pressured the Jewish people to leave. So we don't hear about Halal in the Yaakot Ruveni, but we do hear about the voice of the Pharaoh being miraculously broadcast. Well, this should begin to explain to us why we call it the Egyptian Halal. Now you have what they call a little bit of history. Here's something interesting. Deuteronomy 5. We have a repeat of what is known as Aseret HaDibrot. It's known as the Ten Commandments as they are restated by Moses in Deuteronomy. And when it comes to the mitzvah of Shabbat, in, in verse 15 it says, Remember now, you used to be a slave in Egypt. So Rashi says, what does that have to do with keeping Shabbos? Shabbat observes the notion of God creating the world in six days and resting on the seventh. It is not something that it would seem is a result of the fact that we were slaves to the Pharaoh. What, what is the, what's the key? Key means because. Here's the reason why. So when the Torah comes along and says, I want you to keep the Shabbat holy key because in six days I made heaven and earth. On the seventh day I rested. I refreshed, I rejuvenated. I want you to become spiritually rejuvenated and refreshed. Okay, that's a reason. That's, if you will, God explaining that he wants us, his special children, to be like him. But you were slaves? That's a reason that you shouldn't work on Shabbat. So Rashi says, That's why I redeemed you. It was for this. He redeemed you, Moses is saying, so that you'll be his slave. And you'll keep his mitzvot. But one second, it doesn't even speak about Shabbat in Rashi. The Sefer Hazikoran says, the purpose of Rashi's comment is to deflect the obvious question, why do we need this reasoning? Or what really is the explanation of this statement? Keep the Shabbat holy because you were servants, because you were slaves to the Pharaoh. And he says, if you read Rashi right, he doesn't say it's Shabbat specific. He says it's all the mitzvot. Amenat lishmor mitzvotov. So that you will keep his mitzvot. God says, I took you out of Egypt so that you and I will now serve God. And we'll keep the mitzvot. And the Shabbat is one of the very important mitzvot that people say, hey, God, I can't do that. I got to make a living. Isn't that a mitzvah? Hashem says, yeah. Remember, you're my slaves. And I don't let you work on Shabbat. So it's not Shabbat specific. If you read this Rashi right, it becomes the raison de etre for mitzvah, observance et al, at large. 
So this gives us an appreciation as to why we call it an Egyptian halal, if you will. That's the history. This is the origin of the verses of halal or how we began or said halal for the first time as a nation. The Abarbanel, in his commentary, Zevach Pesach, takes this much further. He says, Halilu Avde Hashem is not simply a statement about the notion that you were Pharaoh slaves, now you're God slaves, so praise God. Abarbanel says, do not think that every person can simply decide, I will praise God. Don't make the mistake of thinking that everybody can choose to be one who praises God. There is a requisite. The Pharaoh understood this. Why did the Pharaoh say, now you're God's slaves, now you praise God? Why did the Pharaoh praise God? Because he wasn't happy with what God is doing. Because the Pharaoh understood that he was unworthy of praising God. According to Rabbeinu Yitzchak Barbanel, the purpose of Pharaoh's words are, he had an epiphany, he had a sudden awareness that he could not praise God, but the Jewish people could praise God. The newly minted nation of God could praise God because they would be Avdi Hashem. He says... Avde Hashem is a reference to Baalei Nefesh, to people who are soulful. Hadveikim b'yahadut, those who cleave to the Yiddishkeit. K'moeved, like a slave, she'enei mamre p'yadoinoi, who isn't rebellious towards his or her master. In other words, it's out of commitment, it's out of devotion and obedience that we have the privilege to praise Hashem. We have a similar expression elsewhere, also by King David. Hine barchwas Hashem, behold, bless God, kolav de Hashem, all the servants, all the slaves of God, ha'oim de beveis Hashem baleleis, those who maintain composure in the nights when things are difficult, and you continue to proverbially stand in Hashem's house. Who are we referring to here? Ababinel says, Elusha Eskim Batera Yemen Valaila. These are people who immerse themselves in the study of Torah day and night. I beg people, please, I prepare a class for you. Why won't you listen? Rabbi, I got the time to learn Torah. Oy vey. Kindalach, my dear friends, this is who you are, it's who I am, it's who we are. It is by virtue of our devotion to Torah that we are able to praise Hashem. It's the people who rob sleep or slumber from their eyes, says the Abar Benel. They are deserving of praising Hashem. Hashem, says David Melech. Sing Hashem's praises, ye righteous ones. For the upright, it is appropriate, it is befitting that they will offer praise. Abar Benel says, here's where God and mortal kings part ways. The mortal king looks for a Pavarotti, a beautiful voice. 
He cares not what is in his heart as long as he can sing, as long as it sounds good on the surface. However, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, don't impress me with your soprano voice. You have a beautiful tenor. That's very nice. Where is your neshama? Where is your soul? Where is your mind and where is your heart? Do you sing to me with sincerity? Is it a song that springs from your piety? Here, it all hinges on the level of one's piety. It is the one who has reverence and awe for Hashem who is worthy of praising Hashem. The Ma'am Lois cross-references this idea of the Abarbanel with a fascinating halacha in Shulchan Aruch. Suppose you were on the ritual committee in a synagogue. We don't have one of those, but in some synagogues they have. And you've got to choose between two leaders of the congregation, two chazanim. One chazan, gorgeous voice. Beautiful singer. But he's an ignoramus. He is uncouth and callous towards matters of spirituality and holiness. He's an older person. He looks good. He's mature. Developed voice. Seems to be a reasonable person. He's a man of stature. But he's not a man of piety. And the other, the other is still young, still inexperienced in the ways of life. But he is a Torah scholar and he is a person who lives with a sense of profound reverence and awe for Hashem Yisbarach Ayirei Shomayim. Oh, by the way, he doesn't have the greatest voice. He can carry a tune. He doesn't have the greatest voice. Which chazan would you choose? The Shulchan Aruch says, choose the one who has greater piety over the one with the beautiful voice. Choose the one who is inexperienced in ways of the world and doesn't carry himself with stature, perhaps. But he is steeped in the study of Torah. He is an individual who is saturated in the knowledge of Hashem's teachings. That's the one you should choose. Interesting, eh? Hallelujah. Praise Hashem. Yo. Hallelujah de Hashem. By virtue of our devotion, our commitment, our obedience, that's our ticket. The Ma'amloyes finishes off and he says, who should be the chazan to honor Hashem? The purpose of song is not for one to demonstrate his singing prowess, but rather it is Laman Kvoid Hashem. Who honors Hashem? That's the question. Therefore, the one who's got an arsenal of good, upright, positive deeds. Who is That's the Shliach Tzibur, Likahal HaKadosh. That's the right chazan 
for the holy congregation amidst whom the Shekhinah resides. So, really, when I studied this Abba Benalla, I myself had the question, so who says I'm supposed to be singing uh, Hashem's praises? Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe uh, some of you are also unworthy. And, and I think that based on so many things that I was privileged to hear from the Rebbe, I think that really and truly, every one of us is in Eved Hashem. That's the potential that was endowed to us. As the Rebbe once explained, the words, mitoich shaloy lishma, the Kumara questions, if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, is there any value to it? And the answer is, well, out of doing it for the wrong reasons, you come to do it for the right reasons. And the Rebbe way said, mitoich, Mitoich also means the inside. If you peel away all the external layers deep, deep down, perhaps in your subconsciousness, there is, you'll see, a real Ishma. The point then is that this was a transformative event. When we left Mitzrayim, we became intrinsically Avde Hashem. We became capable of this kind of devotion. And that's why if we're not actualizing it, it's considered to be a deficiency, a shortcoming, a sin. Because it's who you are. It's the potential that Abayna Shalalem gave you in me. And if you're not utilizing, if you're not maximizing, you're not developing that potential, you're falling short. That's not what Hashem wants from you. When I read this commentary of Abar Benel, I was reminded of the words of the Maharal of Prague that I shared with you several episodes ago when we talked about the sound of freedom. The words of the Maharal who said to us that you must understand that the freedom we were granted on the night of Pesach is not freedom from a pharaoh because we could be under the thumb or jackboot of various forces that will persecute us. We may in fact be slaves superficially, but internally we are always free. This is the meaning of free. Avde Hashem. We are always capable, and we talked about it in great length and developed it, and I shared with you letters from the Rebbe and a talk from the Friedrich Rebbe, which really illuminates this idea in the fullest sense, and that's what Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is about. As the Alter Rebbe says, it's not Bechol Dor Vador, it's not a generational thing, it's the story of life itself, Bechol Yom V'Yom. So now, we have an understanding of what started in Egypt. Fascinatingly, in the Haggadah of the Chatam Sofer, he says on these very words, Hallelujah Avde Hashem, Hallelujah Hashem Hashem. It says Hallelujah, and then it says Hallelujah. Praise Hashem, servants, slaves of Hashem. Praise Hashem's name. Says the Chasam Sefer, because there are two Geulot. This is not one redemption, it comes in two colors, it is two dimensional. There is the Geulat Haguf. There is the physical redemption of no longer being enslaved to a master who beat us and demoralized us, who broke our bodies and destroyed our physical reality. But then there's a Sheni, a second color, a second dimension. And this is Geulah Sanashama. This is the redemption of soul. This is the setting free of who we really are. 
as Hashem's children. And this is hallelujah, shame Hashem. Hallelujah, shame Hashem. Don't just praise God because you're no longer slaves. Hallelujah, shame Hashem. Praise the name of God, says the Ksam Sefer. The name of God is called Nikra Aleinu. Shame Hashem, Nikra Aleinu. The name of God is called upon us as Bnei Yisrael. That's the point. And he says that's why the first redemption, unfortunately, the freedoms we gained when we left Mitzrayim eventually were lost. But he says the second freedom can never be taken from us. Which lines up perfectly with the words of the Maharal, especially as the Rabbeim, Rabbi Seinu Nisiyenu, the Rabbeim of Chabad explained, elucidated and clarified for us. So now, this notion that, this notion that this was a paradigm shift, a moment in history, can perhaps be appreciated by virtue of the words of the Alkachimoni that I skipped before. Remember I told you I was skipping a few words? Let me go back to those few words. In the middle of that entry, 472, 872, it says this. We find, in fact, 26 generations delineated by name, generations, from the time of creation, the genesis of the world as we know it, until this point, when the Jewish people left the land of Mitzrayim. We have no record of Hallel ever being recited before tonight. At the time when Makad Bechorot came, ah, the Pharaoh gets up and he says, leave. At this point, now it is possible. Now we can understand and we can appreciate that we can say hallow. What does that mean? The grandson of Rashi Rashbam puts it this way. He says, Ki al Mitzrayim, because by virtue of the Exodus, these were not localized miracles, but these were miracles that were seen, known, and felt on a global level. The whole world knew about this. Ad ato, until the exodus, hoyosuvurim, humanity, had started to believe, she'enei mashgiach al kol yeshvei that God is no longer involved. Perhaps there is a God. Maybe the world isn't an accident. But he's on vacation. He has better things to be involved with. But when we left Mitzrayim, the world said, ah, so there is a God. And this is precisely the same sentiment that is echoed by Nachmanides in his commentary on Oz Yashir in Exodus 15, on verse 18, Hashem yimloch lo'olam va'ed, 
Nachmanides Ramban waxes on about the notion of the miracles that happened at the time of Yetzias Mitzrayim that were heard, the echo was heard around the world and people, humanity, viewed things differently from that point onward. That's when Hallel can be recited because Hallel, Hallel is not to be recited every day. Hallel is to be recited when it becomes clear and obvious that the presence of Hashem is the force that dictates reality. When Hashem shows His miracles. The night of Pesach was the first time that happened. The first time Halal was ever recited was in Mitzrayim. And that's why it's called Halal Mitzra, the Egyptian Halal. It is definitely a very Jewish thing. But the history, the history is before we left, when we're still in Mitzrayim. Now going back to the words of the Abarbanel in the Zevach Pesach, the Abarbanel really emphasizes this idea. I presume that he bases this on the similar manuscripts. I'm not sure if he saw the al I think he did actually. He says, Hadorot Harishonim, the early generations, Lohi Kiru Habriut et Gadlus Hashem. Humanity did not know the greatness of the Creator. They thought that God had built a rock he couldn't lift, that he had created a monster he couldn't control, that nature was beyond his purview. At the final fell swoop of the, the tenth plague, HaKadosh Baruch God confused all of the celestial movements and everything that was supposed to be wasn't. And all of nature was shaken. At that point, they knew the great power of the king of all kings. He is the sole patron of our world. And that's why they said... May God's name indeed be blessed. May Atta, the Ad Oilam, from now and all eternity. Maharal of Prague, in his commentary on the Megillah Gvurus Hashem, says something very beautiful about this notion. He says, There's a hallelujah. And then we repeat hallelujah a second time, a question we have already raised. I shared with you the words of the Chassam Sofer. Here, the Maharal says, by virtue of the fact that they were redeemed, Avde Hashem. We are now, we are now servants, slaves to Hashem. We were taken out of the Pharaoh's dominion and brought into God's dominion. That itself is a reason to sing, to praise, and to be joyous. The privilege of being Avde Hashem. Perhaps we didn't even understand what a privilege it was. The Pharaoh understood. He had a glimpse, an epiphany as to what a privilege had come our way. We were now Avde Hashem. Maharal says when we sit around the Seder together and we share the beauty of our Yiddishkeit and we take a moment to be mindful of the notion that we are Avde Hashem, it's a cause 
for us to sing Hashem's praises. Hallelujah. Why? Avdeh Hashem. Because we have the privilege of being Hashem's servants. And then we thank Hashem for His miracles. We say hallelujah. We thank Hashem for the miracles and the wonders, for the deliverance, for the salvation, and for the broad and spacious new reality that we were walking into. And he says that this is something that becomes replicated in subsequent redemptions as well. Subsequent redemptions and subsequent holidays like a Hanukkah, we thank Hashem for the miracles that He did for us. But we only once thanked Hashem for becoming His servants because we only became His servants once. After that, we were His servants forever. So it makes a lot of sense to call it the Egyptian halal. For whilst the halal is recited many times, the origin of the halal, the foundation, is the appreciation of the privilege, the gift that we have received of being not bonim, not just Hashem's children, but the privilege of being Hashem's servants, the privilege of being able to minister to the king of all kings, to the master of the universe. You're feeling like a slave? You feel like, well, maybe I don't think that's such a privilege. You think, why am I doing all these things for God? You know what, my friends? Whatever little tiny bit we do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu is nothing in comparison to what Hashem does for us. In the words of our sages, as they are found in the Medrash Rabbah, on the second book of the Torah, in the 11th chapter of the Medrash on Shemot, the Medrash comments on the words that are found in the 13th chapter of Exodus, right in the beginning of Parshat Beshalach, God did not take them by virtue of the passage of the land of the Philistines. Says the Medrash, God didn't lead them in a normal fashion. Derecheretz can also become a euphemism for typical, normal, expected, anticipated, predictable. God did not treat us like people usually treat a servant in the, in the Derech Eretz, in the way of the world, if you will. You acquire slaves, servants, so that they will wash and bathe you, so that they will massage and take care of you. But in fact, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did precisely the opposite. Hashem did not take us in that way. We were His servants and He was cleansing us. As Ezekiel said, I cleanse you with waters. Vesach, and who kept our skin nice, soft, and supple with oil of oivei? 
It was HaKadosh Baruch Hu V'asoychich B'Shemen, says Ezekiel. I proverbially, obviously, metaphor on steroids, softened your skin with this dermatology wonder of olive oil. The servant dresses his or her master, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu dresses us. Va'al bishcharikma, I dress you in the finest. Hashem doesn't have us carry him. He carries us, as it is written, He carries us on proverbial eagle's wings. Usually the servant illuminates the path for the master, but here it is Hashem. It was Hashem who went before them illuminating their path. A similar idea is found in the 226th entry of the Alkot Shemoni in the book of Shemot. He says, it's exactly the opposite. A mirror image. Normal? Rain comes from the heavens. Bread comes from the ground. How does the bracha go? We look to the heavens for rain. However, when Hashem took us out, He did not treat us in normative fashion. On the contrary, He was mamtir lechem in Hashemayim. He rained bread, sustenance down at us from heaven. And the waters, they came up from the ground. Alei be'er enula. They sang a song of praise for the miraculous waters that became available in the ground. Derecheretz Talmotein Panos. In normative way, it is the subordinate, the pupil, who carries the lantern to illuminate the way before the master. But here Hashem illuminates the way for us, and he quotes verses from Ezekiel speaking about shoes made of the finest tachash leather. It's a story for another day. Derecheretz Harav Yoshin Talmud Eimid Al Gabov. The master rests, and the servant is awake and guards, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu guards us, and he is Leyonim V'Leyishon. And as the Gemara Meseches Avedezara on page 11, side A, tells us a story of Unculus Barclonimus, the Roman Achilles. The Achilles was a nephew of the Hadrian, of the, of the Roman Caesar Hadrian. He probably had the equivalent of a PhD in Roman language, in Greek from the University of Harvard or something. A brilliant linguist, a mountain of a person, incredible stature he had. And despite his high birth and nobility and despite his brilliance, he chose to leave Rome and he joined the downtrodden Jewish people. You heard of this Onkelis. He is the one who authors the most authoritative and foundational rendition of the Torah in a language called Aramaic, Targum Onkelis. Needless to say, Hadrian was not pleased, and he sent a troop of crack soldiers. He said, bring him home, dead or alive, in chains or not, I want him back in Rome. He's an embarrassment to the family. But Onkelis instead... He speaks to the soldiers, and by the force of his spiritual charisma, he ends up 
converting them to. And the Gemara tells us that Unkelis's words were along the lines of these Midrashim. He talks about the gods. And he talks about servants and masters. And he talks about HaKadosh Baruch Hu taking care of the Jewish people. And when he uses these words in this argument, they all joined him instead of bringing him back to Rome. At any rate, the point, my dear friends, is this. Of course, we are in a relationship with God that requires a tremendous amount of effort that we must expend. It is not easy. It is not simple to be a good to be a good Jew. You have to work really, really hard. But we're in a pretty good deal. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of us and provides for us. It's not a normal servant-master relationship. Quite to the contrary. As the Baal HaRekeach, Rabbi Elozer Rekeach, we've uh, spoken of him so often over the last couple of episodes, continues now to explain the Haggadah, and he says, these are the words we say, Hishem Hashem Evoirach, May indeed Hashem's name be praised across the world. For all eternity. For all eternity, he says the words, From the east where the sun rises, till the west where it sets from sunrise to sunset. That's the gamut of the world as we know it. From the entire range Hashem's name is blessed. Rokeach says, Everywhere. From today onward, God's name is known everywhere. And we have the power to make that reality a part of the fabric of everyday existence. In 1991, on Simchas Torah, the Rebbe talked about the verses that are recited before the Hakafot. He talked about the verse, Yihichvod Hashem Li'olam. He talked about the idea of Mi'atav Yadolam, and I want to share the words that he said because it, it really speaks to the focus that we've managed to put together, to develop here. The Rebbe says, Shame Hashem, the name of God, is Ha'ora Bilvad. As the Alta Rebbe explains in Lakuta Teira, it, it's the superficial element of God, the name of God that we can name, the name of the, the element of divinity that we can label. There is an essence that is beyond names and beyond description and definition. But then there's the element of divinity that we are able to call, we're able to define. We're able to identify. So only the ha'orah, just the external radiance of God's presence, is mevoirach. Mevoirach, says the Rebbe, along the lines of what the Alter Rebbe says in Torah Erdem, Parshas Miketz, means mevoirach comes from the term not blessed, but mevoirach means to draw forth, to actualize, hamshacha. That shame Hashem is brought forth begidre oilam within the limitations of our physical material world. 
for eternity. Not for a moment that God becomes a recognized part of the fabric of existence, but for eternity, the presence of Hashem is always visible and can be seen if you want to in the fabric and strata of the world in which we live. And that then is the meaning of me'ata vi'ad o'ilam. Me'ata vi'ad o'ilam means from the vicissitudes of time until eternity. This notion of going out of Mitzrayim, this transformation that we acknowledge with the halal prayer is an eternal one. And the last Simchas before the Rebbe fell ill, 1991, Tavshinam Beis, the Rebbe returned to explain this Pasuk, and he explained it a little bit differently. And he said the same idea, Shem Hashem, is mevoirach, is drawn forth, the idea of bracha and hamshacha. And he says, Me'ata, from here, Ad Oilam, busy said, until even in the most literal element, the most actual part of existence. That God is not a reality that is reserved to the inner sanctum of the heart or mind, but that Hashem's presence can be identified, seen, known, and felt, biz oilam, all the way into the physical material world. This is what Yetzirah Mitzrayim is all about. Hashem redeems us, makes us His servants, so that we bring forth the name of God in everything. Everywhere, across the globe. This Hallel thanks Hashem for the universal mission that we were given. I'll conclude with a fascinating little teaching that is found in the Zohar and the Rebbe's explanation of it. The Zohar. In Chelik Beis, in the second section on page 187a, says, Yehi Shem Hashem Mevorach. The verse says, May the name of God be Mevorach, blessed. So the Zohar queries, My Mevorach? What is this blessing? And the Zohar speaks about this. There's a secret here that one of our companions, who's out in the desert, only he can answer this. Rabbi Yitzchak of Kaftura is his name. And he says, yeah, this is the teaching of Rabbi Yitzchak of Kaftura. He said, my mevorach, the commentaries on the Zohar explain, the question is, why is it missing a vav? Mevorach. It should have been spelled with a vav. After the membeis. Mevorach. The vav is missing. And the Zohar says, Shirusa. It opens, its opening is kosher. Its opening is harsh and difficult. Vesoyfe, but its end is rach, is soft. Me, be, miv, membeis, kosher. This refers to harshness, to difficulty, to challenge. However, from membeis, from miv, membeis, we come to rach, lubasa, rach, we come to the notion of sweetened. Judgments, we come to the notion of Hashem's mercy. The Zohar goes on 
to say that the number 42, Membeis, this configuration of God's name is connected to creation itself. So too, the day of Rosh Hashanah is identified with Membeis. This is the secret of Membeis. Membeis Asvon Isbri Alma with 42 Hebrew letters. The universe was brought into existence. As the commentaries explain, there are 42 Hebrew letters from the word Bereshit until the Beis of Tohu Vavohu. But once we reach, in the beginning it was chaos. During that period, through those 42 Hebrew letters, each representing massive global shifts, a transformation of reality, the chaos is over. And law and order of nature and our universe emerges. Hashem creates the world initially with judgment, with very exacting strictures and demands. The world indeed is created with judgment. The name Elikim represents judgment. However, afterwards things are sweetened as it is written that Hashem created a world with judgment and then He sweetened the judgment with mercy, with compassion. What does this have to do with Pesach? What does it have to do with the Seder? The Rebbe spoke about this Zohar at least twice. Interestingly, both were on Parshat Tetzava. He spoke about it once in, in 1977, and he spoke about it again in 1983 in a... There's a fascinating comment from the Rebbe's father about this. Why, it, why it's a man in a, in a desert and why there's a dream involved here. I'm not going to go into that. I want to share with you just a tiny snippet of the way the Rebbe explained this idea. In the beginning harsh, and then it becomes sweet. In what he termed Avedas Hashem, the story with the meaning of life, which is about serving Hashem. The Rebbe said, and I quote, all the restraint, the obstacles, and the difficulty, kol all the things which seem to inhibit the development of Yiddishkeit and the expression of godliness and divinity, the things that seem to shackle us and disable us from promulgating the name of Hashem and sharing the goodness of Yiddishkeit with the whole world, all of these things come from Midat Hadin. They come from the dimension of divine judgment. On a personal level, the Rebbe said, birth itself is metaphorized as the notion of creation. And that too comes with tremendous din and a lot of concealment. And of course, in our day and age, the galut, concealment reality with which we contend. Said the Rebbe, Ein hakavone behem bishvila hesteratzme. The purpose is not concealment in and of itself. Concealment has no intrinsic purpose. Concealment has an extrinsic purpose. Concealment is created so that we can bring about magnificent revelation. When you have difficulties, the difficulties are there for you to overpower and transcend. 
so that you might reveal in them the notion of divinity. This, my dear friends, is perhaps the essence of the exodus from Mitzrayim and the essence of the exodus from our daily Mitzrayim. The difficulties, the challenges, the mitzorim, the strictures and the narrow straits that we deal with are not of intrinsic value, they are merely opportunities. Don't look at them as difficulties, look at them as opportunities, opportunities for us to rise and to soar above and beyond. And that is the meaning of the Egyptian hollow. And it's uniquely Jewish. And it resonates most powerfully as we sit around the table together at the Seder and as we launch a new year of Avodat Hashem, of serving Hashem, a new year of accepting upon ourselves the mission that God has thrust and the privilege of being His servants. And we do so songfully, joyfully, thanking Hashem for the opportunities He has given and making the most of them. Because in the end, all the difficulties and the challenges, all the slavery and the servitude leads us into Eretz, Teva, Rechava, into the land and reality that is truly spacious with the coming of Mashiach and Merz Hashem. In our time, Ubim Heira, Ubi Amenu, Amen. Thank you so much for joining today.